Well, it's good to see all of you here. Uh, I know uh, a great majority of our youth students, catapult students, are at a retreat. And so, and they've been having a great time, and they'll be back here uh, about the time, at about 1 o'clock or so, I believe. And so, um, yeah, it, uh, our kids are doing a great uh, job over there learning. I am so excited because we've been in a series called uh, Wisdom of Friends, and we've had some of our good friends, great communicators, um, people whom we work with on a side-by-side basis, whether it be church-to-church or, or in solo conference and things of that nature. And I'm delighted to introduce our guest speaker for today, Pastor Richard Kim. is a senior pastor at Gospel Life Mission Church. He is also the director of KCM. And uh, we joke a little bit that um, he, he visits us often. And when he walked into our church this morning at our huddle, um, he knew the majority of our people. They were all coming to say hi to him before acknowledging me. And uh, that I know a lot of the people here uh, are indebted to Pastor Richard Kim spiritually, whether it be uh, at the church that he was ministering at or at the parachurch he was at or just as a, a guest speaker periodically. Every time he's come here, I've been so blessed. One of the things I really appreciated about Richard, although you're not middle-aged, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure. He claims he's not middle-aged. I think he is. That he still has the energy of a college student uh, going on uh, missions, whether it be to Cambodia or Greece during the summer, whether it be hanging out and doing late-night uh, debrief meetings with college students and the such. And uh, he has an energy, a passion about gospel, about the gospel and about missions in a way that I know so few people have. And so I'm so excited and delighted to introduce uh, Pastor Richard Kim. Would you warmly greet him as he comes up? Right. Well, greetings from Gospel Life Mission Church. That's my church to you, Living Hope. And thank you so much to Pastor Steve and to all the elders here that have given me the great honor and privilege to share God's word with you guys. It is true, there are some weeks where I spend more time here than I do at my own church, which is really weird and bad. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just really good to be here, good to share God's word. I see some familiar faces. Uh, how are you, you know? I just want to say hi to some people that are here. I, I want to call out names, but that might seem inappropriate at this time. So we'll just go straight into what God's Word has to say. So if you guys have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, I'm going to read for us uh, verses 1 to 18. It's a fairly long passage, but uh, please stick with me because we're going to be uh, journeying our way through 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, especially uh, the story of Elijah. So here's the reading of God's Holy Word. And may we give our careful attention to it. 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent the messengers to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough, Lord, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Oreb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sake for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind toward the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Amen. Um, I became a Christian in college. And when I became a Christian, I really experienced the power and the blessing of God, where I knew for a fact that he was a powerful presence in my life. And I was really thankful for that because I think as a new believer, I do need kind of that demonstration, that tangible, visible demonstration of God's power. So I was really thankful for his presence. I was thankful for the light. I was thankful that God revealed his glory to me in a way where it was unmistakable in my life and also in the lives of people around me. But as blessed as my life was personally at that time, I would kind of look over at my mom, uh, who was not a believer. And I remember just praying for her, like every single day. I would just pray for my mom every single day. And I felt like my prayers were in vain. Because every time I looked over there, there was darkness. Even though when I looked over here, there was light. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Greece this summer, so I was there with the ministry of KCM for about a month, and as I was there with KCM, uh, we did a prayer ministry because one of the ministries that we worked at um, in that neighborhood is a string of brothels called the White Light District, where there's just a white light and you just see men going in and out uh, to have sex with prostitutes. So me and my team, because our hearts were so broken by that, uh, we would pray, Every day, we would walk around, uh, do a prayer walk around that neighborhood, and at the end, we would pray. And we prayed. We were there for 27 days, and I want to say we prayed almost every single day uh, for God to change these houses of sin into houses of worship, to lead these men into repentance, and to uh, deliver and to redeem and to free these women. And uh, as we were praying, um, you know, we received a lot of blessings in Greece. We got to work with refugees, and we got to uh, do a lot of good ministry where people were knowing, coming to know the Lord and where people were growing in their faith in the Lord. So there was a lot of light in this area. But then I would look at the white light district. I would look at the brothels that are there. And then I would ask myself, well, there's a lot of light here. The, power, the presence of God is very powerful here. But Lord, why does it seem like over there it's so dark? Why does it seem like over there it's so silent? Why does it seem like you're working powerfully here, but it doesn't seem like you're working powerfully over there? You ever have those questions in your life? Right? Where when you look at your life, you're thankful to God for certain areas where he's really blessed your life. Where you look at your career and you say, Lord, thank you so much for the way that you've blessed my career. But then you look at your marriage and you say, Lord, I wish your presence and your power was more evident and visible. Uh, You look at your friends and you look at this one friend and you're like, man, God, every time I pray for this friend, um, a lot of good things are happening and I just thank you for your ministry in my friend's life. But then you look at another friend who seems to be drifting away from the Lord And no matter how much you pray, no matter what you do, it seems like the presence and the power of God is silent. You ever experienced that before? You know, as a church pastor, um, when I look at my church, there are some areas of my church where I'm really thankful for, where I look at the presence and the power of God in that area of my church, and I just really want to fall on my knees and give thanks to God for his powerful work in that area. However, as a church pastor, I look at different areas of my church and I ask God, I say, God, why, why does it seem like to my visible eye and to my understanding that in that area, it doesn't seem like you're working as powerfully as in that area? 
Lord, Lord, what's going on here? Aren't you God over everything? Like, do you pick and choose your spots? Or are you a God who is at work in every area of our lives? You see, um, that's the point and the message that I want to deliver to you today, Living Hope. Because when you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, for us to understand 1 Kings chapter 19, we have to understand 1 Kings chapter 18. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, basically is a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. If you've grown up in the church, you probably heard this story where Elijah comes to the prophets of Baal and he says to them, if God, uh, let's see whose God is true. If your God is true, let all of Israel worship him. But if my God is true, let all of Israel worship him. And we said, we're going to find out whose God is real by uh, uh, setting sacrifices. And whatever fire comes down from heaven will display uh, whose God is true and whose God is real. So the prophets of Baal go first. And they're just going crazy. They're like in a frenzy. They're in an uproar. They're going around. They're slashing themselves, hurting themselves. And it's just silent. Just silent. And then Elijah, he's, um, I mean, for a lack of a better word, I hate to like, you know, say bad things about Old Testament characters, but he's kind of like a, like, a, like, a, uh, like a jerk, you know? So, you know, um, Elijah's like, what's wrong with your God, right? Uh, you know, like, is he sleeping, right? You know, uh, your God must be weak, right? You know, someone needs to go wake him up. Like, he's just like really being sarcastic. Can you imagine a godly Old Testament figure being sarcastic, right? You know, so he's doing all that, which like makes him go even more crazy. And then finally, nothing happens. Elijah gets up and he, and he prays to God and he says to God, he goes, God, let everybody know that you are true. Let everybody know that you are real. Let everybody know that you are powerful and you are present by bringing fire down and let everybody know that I'm your servant. Fire comes down. All of Israel sees this and they confess, God is true. Yahweh, he is the one. Now, we, in our experience of God, tends to think that God only operates that way. That God is only present, that God is only powerful, that God is only working, if God gives a visible, tangible demonstration of that power to our eyes and to the eyes of people around us. But you know what's really interesting about 1 Kings chapter 19? God completely flips the script. God shows us after chapter 18, that he is not limited in the way that he works, but that he is working even in the silence and that he is working even in the darkness and that as his people, we should have faith and trust in him. So let's go to chapter 19. Uh, we see that right after the showdown with the prophets of Baal, Jezebel makes a confession. She basically says, Elijah, if this is the last thing I do, I'm going to kill you. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So Jezebel basically says, you know what? I'm going to kill you, Elijah. You killed all my prophets, you're going down. Which causes Elijah to run away in verses three to four. Look at this. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Uh, as we're going through this text, one of the questions that we should ask is this, is uh, what made Elijah run away? Like, why was he so afraid? Why was he at the point of depression where he wanted to die? Why did Elijah run away? When you look at the text you see that Elijah's fear and which caused him to run away was actually very kingdom-oriented. Uh, it was actually for the glory of God. You see, Elijah's fear was that he believed himself to be the last prophet of Israel. And if he died, people's knowledge of God would vanish and all of Israel, because they are left without a prophet to lead them to God, would turn away from God and begin to worship other gods like Baal. And you see this in verse 10 where Elijah really sees, uh, displays the depths of his heart. So look at verse 10 with me. In verse 10, God comes to Elijah and says, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? And, and you see now Elijah's genuine fear, his genuine struggle, his genuine depression. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
For the people of Israel has forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's like, God, I'm the only one left. They killed everyone. There's no one who can teach them about you anymore. So I ran away because I'm the only one. And then it hits him. Oh my God, I'm the only one. What am I supposed to do? So he's filled with depression. He's filled with fear. He's filled with hopelessness. And he's basically telling God, like, I don't know whether to live or die. I might as well die because I'm the only one. It's, it's hopeless now. Who's going to take all these people and turn them back to you, God? You see Elijah's struggle, his fear, his depression. You see, Elijah's fear was that the knowledge of God was being wiped out and that God seemed strangely silent in a very difficult and hard time in the history of Israel. Do you feel like this? Do you feel like God is silent, especially in an area where you need him most? Do you feel like the presence of God definitely could be more powerful in an area where you're constantly praying to him about, right? Although there's many areas where you can give thanks to God for, there's that one area where you really, really, really want God to answer. And in that area, although all the other areas are filled with light, that area seems to be dark, right? That was for me with my mom, I was so blessed. The presence of God was so powerful. Every time I did a devotional, I just wanted to raise my hands and walk around praising God. But then I would look over there and I would see my mom, whom I love and care for, not knowing the Lord, and that would break my heart. I would talk to uh, singles at my church. And as I would talk to singles at my church, some of them would say, man, I'm so blessed by God, so blessed by God. I'm so thankful to God. I have friends, I have family, uh, I have loved ones. But, you know, some of my singles, they, they have this term that they just keep saying, which, like, uh, kind of makes me chuckle. He, they say, you know, I'm a bachelor till rapture, right? <laughs> have you guys heard that term before? Right? So these guys go around and they're like, we're bachelors till rapture, right? Kind of theologically true, maybe, yeah, right? And what they're saying is through a joke, they're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get married. Right? So obviously, because they keep talking about it, because I'm not going to them and saying it. Can you imagine if I say, hey, bachelor, tell rapture, right? <laughs> right? They're saying it. So it shows something that as they're saying it, they probably pray to God about that. They probably ask for help in that area. They probably ask for some sort of visible, tangible demonstration, like some girl walking up to them and saying, you, you, come here, you. <laughs> but silence, silence, although they're blessed in other areas of their lives, is just silence. And I bet in their hearts, they're thinking to themselves, Lord, are, are you there? Maybe for some of you that are married, you have professional success, you have financial security, your children are good, but you wish that God would be more present and visible and active in your marriage. Because maybe as you hit midlife, as Pastor Steve always keeps talking to me about that now, <laughs> right? Um, that maybe marriage is not as exciting as it used to be. More than lovers, you guys are partners. And you look at it and you're like, man, God, I wish you were more present there. I wish I had professional success, financial success, and I, I also wish I had marriage success. Is what Elijah is going through, is, are, are you going through that? When God's power needs to be displayed the most, he, does he seem most absent? Um, even kingdom-minded people that are here. You know, uh, if, you guys, if you get to know me, I'm, I'm a big missions person. Um, you know, I, I don't know why, but every time I talk about missions, um, I want to cry, which is really weird because I've never cried watching any movie in my life, right? Um, every time my wife cries, I look at her, I go, you know it's fake, right? <laughs> But then I talk about missions and I just get these tears in my eyes. And there's times where I pray for missions. I, I pray for unreached peoples. And, and I say to myself, Lord, you're so present here in Orange County. 
but where are you? Like, where are you in Syria? Are, are you present there? Um, sometimes I pray for campuses, and I say, you know, Lord, you're so present in Biola. <laughs> Right? There's like a picture of you. <laughs> See it all the time. But then I, I, I say to myself, Lord, wh- where are you at USC? Like, you know? <laughs> and that's where all the Bruins go, amen. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Right? Where's God? Uh, I have guys at my church that struggles with certain sins, and they pray hard. They pray hard for these sins to get delivered, and God just seems so silent. And I've heard one guy say to me, where is God in my struggle with my sin at this time? even though God is so present there. So this is how Elijah felt. So he runs away, prepares himself to die because he's lost hope. And this is where God shows up. But it's funny now because if you've read chapter 18, God shows up in a completely different way than what Elijah expects in chapter 19. Because remember, how did God show up in chapter 18? He came with fire, right? All of Israel knew. But how does God show up in chapter 19? Well, in a completely different way. But I might argue with the same power. With the same power. How does God do? What's God's ministry to Elijah? What is God's ministry to us in our struggle? Uh, I believe there's four in the text. Number one is this. God ministers to Elijah indirectly before he ministers to Elijah directly. Look at verse five to eight. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Um, So Elijah's like, he's prepared to die. He's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to sleep. And then he's sleeping, probably the sleep of death. And then an angel just, hey, Elijah, wake up. Can you, I mean, just, I mean, I have an imaginative mind. Can you imagine that scene, right? He opens his eyes, it's like an angel. My first thought is, what does this angel look like, right? And then the angel's like, hey, Elijah, eat. And there's water, right? And there's bread, Right? jar of water, and a cake. Actually, not bread. There's a cake, right? How awesome is that, right? right? A cake and a water, right? And I imagine to myself, how awesome must this cake be, right? And wow, finally, holy water, right? <laughs> um, and you know what's funny is, I bet Elijah was thankful for the, the cake and water, right? But is that what he really wanted? Right? He prays to God, he goes, help me. And deep down in his heart, what he really wants is, right, for there to be more prophets, for God's name to be honored and glorified, for all of Israel to follow Yahweh. And then the way God answers is he doesn't answer any of that. He doesn't answer any of Elijah's deepest heart's yearnings. Instead, God gives him cake and water. Isn't that really interesting? Right? Where, where we come to God, right, and we're like, God, help us with this, help us with this, and God is like, well, yeah, I, I'm going to help you with this, but I'm going to help you in other areas. I'm going to help you indirectly before I help you directly. Right? 
And, and, and that's what God's doing. Because if you see in verse seven, God says, well, you know what? For you, for me to help you, you need to go on a great journey. And for you to go on a great journey, uh, uh, I need to give you strength and I need to give you all that you need for you to go on this great journey to finally find the answers that you're looking for. So I'm going to strengthen you so that you can go on this great journey so that I can finally answer the deepest yearnings of your heart. And, and, and you know, a church this big, right, and, and, and a worship service this big, right, uh, I wonder if there's anybody here where you haven't been to church in a long time and this is your first Sunday. And, and what got you here was you're just so sick and tired of all the things that are going on in your life. You need a change in your life, right? You need a change. So you decide to come here and you made God an ultimatum because I did that one time. I remember I was in college my freshman year and uh, I was like far away from the Lord. In fact, I was not a Christian. And then uh, I had a crazy night in college, and then I woke up the next day, and it was Sunday. It was Sunday morning. It was early Sunday morning. I've never woken up so early Sunday morning before, right? And then I woke up, and I said, to God, I said, God, I'm going to go to church. And I said, God, you better speak to me right now. I'm going to go to church. You better speak to me, because if you don't speak to me, I'm never coming back again. So what was the deepest yearning of my heart? I wanted God to speak to me. So I went to church, and he didn't speak to me. I slept through the sermon. He didn't speak to me. And I was like, oh, and I didn't have no powerful moment where like he touched me or he sat next to me. Heck, I didn't even get cake or water. <laughs> but you know what God did that day? Someone came up to me and said hi. You know what God did that day? Someone invited me to go eat lunch. You know what God did that day? Someone asked me to play basketball. Some guys are like, amen. <laughs> and guess what? Because of all that indirect ministry, after months and months and months and months, I finally found what I was looking for, which was God. Where I confessed in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I gave God an ultimatum. And he said, no. But he also said, wait. Yeah, I'm going to answer all the deep yearnings of your heart, but I'm going to give you cake and water first. You know why? Because you're about to go on a great journey with me, and you're going to need strength. So anybody here, you did one of those crazy confession things like I did, right? Um, keep coming back, okay? <laughs> keep coming back. Yeah. God doesn't work like that. Um, he works the way he wants to work. Uh, the second way that God works is God changes Elijah's narrative. Because you know why Elijah was depressed? The reason why Elijah was depressed was because he thought he was the only one. Right? You see that in the text. God, I'm the only one. Jezebel killed everyone. I'm the only one left. Who's going to know about you? How are people going to worship you? Right? Can you imagine, right, if Pastor Steve's the only pastor left? Right? Actually, knowing him, he'll probably like, you know, like, he'll, he'll revive it. Right? But, you know, like, I'm the only one. Right? But you know what God does? God's not, God doesn't do this. Oh, you're the only one? Well, let me give you 7,000 more. God doesn't do that. You know what God does? He changes Elijah's narrative. Because, Elijah, what you believe about this circumstance or this situation is not true. It's not true. I know you think you're the only one. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 others that you have no clue about. So if you died, it's fine, Elijah, because my name will continue. You see, some of you guys, you desperately want God to change the circumstance, right? Why can't my wife be nicer, right? Why can't my wife not bug me? Why does my wife tell me to do all these things? I'm sorry, I'm talking about my marriage. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's not here, though. It's okay. And the first sermon's recorded. This one's not recorded, right? Okay, so why? why what's, I mean, what's wrong with Christina, right? <laughs> and if you guys know her, please don't say anything. And then, you know, God comes to me. And he says, and I go, can you change her, Lord? Right? Can you change her? Because I want a Stepford wife. 
you know, Stepford Wife, you know those things where like, you know, you create your own wife? How awesome would that be? And then God comes to me and goes, you know she's not the problem, right? He goes, you are. You need to change. Your narrative is all wrong. What you believe about the situation is wrong. What you believe about the circumstance is wrong. So what God does is, before he changes your circumstance, he changes your narrative. I believe that's why there are sermons every Sunday. Because, you know, sermons, I, 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 okay, the selfish side of me wishes that me and Pastor Steve and, you know, all the other guys, we could perform miracles, right? What's your circumstance? You have no money? Million dollars, boom, right? I wish we did that. But what do we do? You have no money? You are rich in Christ. <laughs> What is that, right? I mean, think about it. That's our job. That's the job of a pastor, right? We don't perform miracles up here. I wish we did. We change narratives. We change narratives for the truth. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. You are rich in Christ. I don't know why y'all laugh. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's how God works. And maybe we've forgotten that because we secretly only want God to be the God of 1 Kings 18 when God tells us that he is the God of 1 Kings 18 and 19. What else does God do? God promises that Ahab's reign will end through unconventional means. Uh, Elijah's like, Lord, Ahab is an evil king, evil king, get rid of him. And God's like, I will create two evil kings, and those evil kings will get rid of this evil king. And Elijah's like, uh, uh, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> right? I mean, just, I mean, when I read this text, I was like, whoa, right? God's like, I will use evil to destroy evil, right? I mean, it's like weird. And then last is, you know what's really funny is, and, and this is where it gets really interesting. God ministers to Elijah um, in such quiet and undetectable ways. Because remember, remember chapter 18, right? Elijah's like, God, show yourself. Boom, fire. I mean, unmistakable. Everybody saw it. Now, Elijah in chapter 19, he's basically saying the same thing, right? God, show yourself. And, and there's this, like, weird sequence of, like, natural disasters or catastrophes or calamities or I don't even know, right? Like, things where, like, you know, Elijah's like, God, show yourself. And, and, and there's, like, this, like, thunder, right? Like, where it's, like, breaking the mountains in pieces. I mean, think about that. Elijah's standing there. There's a crazy wind that's just, like, breaking the mountains in pieces. And Elijah's like, oh, God is finally here. And the Bible clearly says he is not there. He's not there. Second, right, there's, uh, you know, uh, what else is there? There's like an earthquake, right? There's this crazy earthquake, and, and, and the Bible says he's not there. And then the third, which is like, you know, the climax, there's fire. Ah, I bet Elijah's like, ah, just like chapter 18, he's here because the fire came down, Right? You know that song, Fire Come Down? Sometimes he don't come by fire. So Elijah's like, yes, the fire's here. Bible clearly says he's not there. And then there's this quiet, undetectable breeze. Right? Like, quiet, undetectable breeze breeze, uh, or a sound of a thin silence. And the Bible says this, and there was God. Interesting, huh? What do we learn? God himself ministers to us sometimes, not in big flashy ways, but in quiet and undetectable ways. You see, Elijah thought that the knowledge of God was disappearing in Israel. 
Elijah believed that God was not present because of all the evil that was going on. And God was showing Elijah that in the midst of the silence, the evil, the darkness, the suffering, he's still present working to bless. Maybe not in big flashy ways like he did in chapter 18, but through quiet, hard to detect ways that are unconventional and sometimes make no sense. Which leads me to this point, and, and, and this is for you now. See, that's, that's the Bible story. That's, that's the theology. That's the doctrine. This is for you now. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your life? Do you believe that God is present in your marriage, although he seems silent? Do you believe that God is present in your fight against sin, although he seems silent? Do you believe that God is present in your friend, although he seems silent? Do you believe that God is present in different parts of the ministry here at Living Hope, although he may seem silent? All the way to, do you believe that God is present and active, working among the darkest areas of this world where people don't know Christ, although it seems like he is silent? Because that's what this text is teaching us, right? That's what this chapter is teaching us, that God is present, that he is present. And if you believe this truth, what would your life look like? Practically, right? What would your life look like? Guess what? You'll keep praying. You won't give up praying, right? If I could use a young term, right, as an old middle-aged guy, right? You'll keep grinding in prayer, right? You'll grind, right? Only word for grind I knew was coffee beans until I hung out with millennials, <laughs> right? You'll grind in prayer, You won't give up. Yeah, I know you've been praying for this for several years. But you won't give up. Because you believe God works in the silence. You will obey. You know why? Because you will obey because you are still living for someone greater than yourself. You know what the expression of obedience is? Obedience is I follow someone greater than myself. Why? Because that person is still powerful enough to take care of me. So I don't have to take care of myself. So all selfishness is gone. So I live for someone greater, which is Jesus. That's obedience. You know what else? Worship. Worship. You'll worship which expresses hope in God that whether you give or take away, my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord because although he may not be visibly manifest at this time in a powerfully tangible way, he is still working and he is still powerful even in the silence. My prayer for living hope is that you guys would be a people of prayer, obedience, worship, and hope. Uh, let me end with this. Uh, I went to Greece this summer in July, and our main ministry was to minister to the refugees that are there. And we actually work with two major ministries, which is uh, a church called Agape Christian Fellowship Church, which is really interesting because this is a church primarily run by Afghani Christians. And it's a place where once uh, Muslims become Christians, uh, this is the church where they disciple them where uh, their leaders, uh, their their, uh, uh, ethnic Afghan leaders, um, vibrant community, Bible studies going on the whole week, music classes, English classes, prayer meetings. Uh, I joined them for a prayer meeting one time, and I literally thought the prayer meeting, you know, I was prepared for a one-hour prayer meeting. We prayed for like three hours. And, and it's not like one of those, like, you know, like there's guitar, like you can sing songs, you know. It's like we're all just in a circle and we're just praying. And one guy literally is praying like for 30 minutes in Farsi. <laughs> I was like. And he's just praying and praying and praying. Such a vibrant community, such a vibrant life, such a vibrant church filled with Every single person used to be Muslim, now is a Christian, loving Jesus, dedicated their life to Jesus, and their main goal is to bring other Muslims to Christ in the Lord. 
So I'm like, God, you're present here. You are present here, Lord. And then uh, we work with kind of another ministry. It was called the Samaria Feasting Center, where it's the place where, like, people come to get food, uh, uh, native uh, ethnic food that they've been missing and craving. So they come, uh, they hear the gospel, and it's the place where it's kind of the first point of contact for Christians, and it's the place where they get saved. And, and the pastor there, his name is Pastor Philip, and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, since you guys have been ex- in existence, how many people have come to know the Lord through this ministry? And he said... Um, He said, since uh, we've been receiving refugees, we've had 200 baptisms. Praise the Lord, right? Because he will not feed you unless he preaches the gospel to you. I mean, I don't know about that, but it's working. (laughs) Okay? I mean, you know, he's a hardcore Korean man, so, you know, it's like, like no food, like, you know, no no physical food, no spiritual food. Like, he said something like that. And then he looked at me and goes, preach. (laughs) All right, right? And he had 200 baptisms. The last Sunday we were there, he's like, you want to come to the beach with me? And I'm like, that's kind of weird. And he goes, no, no, for baptism. I'm like, oh. Right? And he wanted to go baptize a whole bunch of people that came, became Christians through his ministry. And I'm like, God, you're present here. You're present here. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little greedy because I started asking questions about the refugee camps. You know, the place where they go, where there's thousands of them. And I asked, I said, are you present there? Uh, if I could use an illustration from one of my favorite movie series called The Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't seen that, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? Um, I know God is present in Gondor. And I know God is present in Rohan. But is he present at Mordor? So I started asking questions to the missionaries, and I said, hey, is there any ministries going on in these refugee camps? And all of them were like, no, you can't go in there. They won't let you in there. And I'm like, well, you can't go in there? He goes, yeah, these are all NGOs. They won't let any uh, you know, evangelistic activity happen in there. And I'm like, oh. And then I'm like, can we just go in? Right? And then they're like, no, because like, they're very antagonistic. They find that you're a Christian. They're going to get really mad at you, and they might do physical harm. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, well, but can we go in? And then you know, they're like, no, you can't go in because, you know. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, no, you can't go in because like, you know, even if the believers are in there, they don't want to be identified as believers because once they're identified as believers, they'll get persecuted. And I'm like, oh. And, you know, obviously, I'm like, well, God's present here, God's present here, God's not present there. And then randomly, I, I met this, like, like this tiny little lady named Kunmi. Used to be a nurse in Switzerland, heard about the refugee crisis, bought a one-way plane ticket to Greece. And she's been ministering here for three years. I just randomly met her. She's just standing there. I'm like, ah, oh, Asian, right? <laughs> I was like, hey, how's it going? And she goes, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm a missionary. I'm like, you're a missionary? And we started talking. I'm like, what do you do? And she goes, I go into the refugee camps. <laughs> really? And then, you know, my f- second question was, can you get me in there? <laughs> she goes, yeah. She goes, bring six people. You know, my team was 15. I said, okay, I'll bring six people. Right? I picked six. And then she goes, don't forget your passport. I said, Okay. And then these refugee camps, they're like hours away. So you got to take a subway and just go a long way because they just put them in the outskirts of Athens. So we finally make it to the refugee camp, me and five other people. I'm excited, right? Never been there. What the heck is going on? What's it look like? And then uh, she looks at me and she goes, did you bring the passport? And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot the passports. And then one of my teammates gave me the dirtiest look I've ever seen in her life. And I'm like, oh, no, because of me, we're not going to get in. And then she was just like, no, it's okay, let's pray. I'm like, okay. So we pray, right? And I'm like, oh, God, please help me, (laughs) right? And then she's like, yeah, we come on Saturdays because that's where, like, the guards, they're, they're not as, like, you know, observant. And I'm like, huh? And in my mind, I'm like, are we sneaking in? And then she's like, yeah. And then we bought like some watermelons. We bought six watermelons. 
and then we broke up into two groups. She goes, you lead, uh, you lead one team. She goes, I'll lead the other team. And then there's like this open door. Actually, it's not even an open door. It's like a broken fence, <laughs> right? And then she goes, you walk down that way. It's like this main street, right? And I'm like, where are you going? She goes, it's okay. <laughs> so I'm walking with the watermelon down Main Street. And then I take three steps and somebody comes in and goes, hey, do you have ID? And I'm like, well, uh. And then she was just gone. <laughs> and my thought was like, she used me. <laughs> right? This girl used me. Right? And then she's like, do you have your passport? I'm like, dude, I don't have my passport. She's like, you can't be in here without a passport. And then I have my California driver's license. I said, hey, can, can, will this do? And then, I don't know, by the grace of God, she was gracious. So uh, I gave it to her. She's like, you have one hour. And then with our translator, we're like visiting all these people. I met a Kurdish refugee. I, 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 made a, I, I met an Afghan refugee. And, you know, and I didn't know. I, I just visited. So I don't know. All I know is that I can't share the gospel. They're going to go crazy. You know, it's, they're antagonistic. We don't want to identify Christian households, right? All these things were like weighing me down. And then finally, we connected. We, we hooked up with this missionary. And we walked into her ministry And I kid you not, once we walked in, that tiny little trailer was filled with Muslims. Filled. And she had a guitar out, and she was singing Christian songs. Right? She stopped singing Christian songs. She opened up her Bible, and she started preaching. And then she busted out this gospel cube. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's like an evangelistic tool. And she started doing the gospel cube. And then afterwards, she said, okay, now it's prayer time. And then she's just like laying hands on people and just praying for everybody and everybody coming toward her to pray. And she would explain to me, she goes, yeah, this person right here, this person had this like incredible physical illness, but God healed her. And this person, because God healed her, brought this person, right? And then uh, God healed her of this, God healed him of this, so it brought this person. So it's like uh, everybody's like coming to be healed by her, hearing the gospel, becoming Christians, and it is the most blatant form of gospel evangelism that I've heard anywhere in Greece, in a refugee camp. And I'm just sitting there with my mouth open, and she's like, and then she looks over and she goes, don't just preach. <laughs> and, and I was thinking to myself, wow. God is present in Mordor. After we were done, I said, how long have you been doing this? She goes, three years. And I said, what do you do with all these people? She goes, I bring them to church. <laughs> I tell them where Samaria is. And they come to church and they get baptized. And some of them actually go back with her to bring more people out. And then she said this to me. She said, I know the physical sufferings of these people are great. But she looked over at me and she goes, Richard, never forget that their spiritual sufferings of being separated from Jesus is greater. We must share the gospel. Man, I was so on fire. I, looked, I seriously wanted to look over at her and be like, where do you want me to go die? God is present everywhere. Even in Greece, where the brothels are, my team prayed almost every day. And I believe God is telling me he's even present in there, although we might not know. But why am I so surprised? Why do I have no faith? Because isn't this, story, isn't this the story of the gospel? Because what's the gospel, right? Isn't the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for the forgiveness of sin on that cross, and then he rose again from the dead, and he promises to come back one day, and when he does, that he will renew everything, the heavens and the earth. And for those who place their faith in him, not only have this forgiveness, not only have this adoption, but they have the hope of a new life in a new place that is incomparable to the old life and the old place. 
But there's one aspect of the gospel that we tend to minimize or forget, which is, you know when Christ died on the cross, there was Good Friday? And then when Christ rose again from the dead, there was Easter Sunday? But what about Silent Saturday? When Christ was lying in the grave and God seemed so silent. What does that teach us? Well, it teaches us something, that our God is the God of silence. But in the midst of that silence, he was doing his greatest work. And every time a Christian encounters silence, you know what's coming next? Glory. Glory. Glory is coming. So only for the Christian that in the midst of silence we can have hope because that's the Christian gospel that in the midst of the greatest silence the world has ever heard God was doing his greatest work so that every time a Christian encounters silence the Christian can have hope that glory is coming. Do you believe that living hope? Because that's your name, right? (laughs) Living hope. You guys should be the most hopeful people in the world. Like me, gospel life. We should know the gospel. You know, gospel life, mission church. We should do missions. Right? So I want to encourage you guys with the gospel, which is this. Every time you encounter silence from God, he is doing his greatest work. Amen? Amen? And every time you encounter silence, guess what? Glory is coming. Glory is coming. Just wait, pray, worship, obey, and hope. That's my word for you that I believe God has called me to deliver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who works in a myriad of ways. You work in visible, tangible ways where we are convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are there, you are present. But you also work in ways where it's so hard to detect but help us to believe even in the silence that you are at work. I especially pray for those people that are experiencing the silence of God, that this message would bring a word of hope and encouragement to them and would just really bless them and give them the courage to worship, to pray, to obey, and to have hope. So thank you that you are a God that is always present, always at work, that you are a God that uh, will never leave us nor forsake us. Receive all the glory, and may you let us know that every time we encounter silence, that glory is coming, and we can't await to behold that and to marvel at it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.